Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Hello. I can tell you're just thrilled to be back in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Not. 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 But yeah. you know, there's a lot of people I love here, so that makes it a little bit better. Yeah. 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 I can imagine it would. Yeah. I'm thinking about our podcast, and I'm thinking, you know, by the time this one airs, you probably won't be in LA anymore. It's true. Don't try and find me in LA when you hear yeah, this podcast because yeah. I'll be gone. Well, we're getting, we're getting a pig pile of backlog podcasts because I had somebody write me today says, what's the matter with you guys? There's no podcasts coming out for two weeks. And I said, yeah, we had an issue with, uh, we didn't understand what our producer had said. And so, Aww. right. But I'm glad that people are actually paying attention me and asking me. And that means there's at least <laughs> one or two listeners that are actually paying attention. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, did you did you go through the did you see the stats that we had? Did you, I did not. Okay, we'll take a look at it afterwards. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I figured. I wouldn't know what it meant yeah, either. I have no, I have no, I don't have any idea what it means. So, so any any births? Uh, no, but I can bring you an update on the twins from that we spoke about. Last podcast, which that probably won't be the last podcast because we've inserted some other podcasts in between that and the last podcast. Okay, but the last the podcast where you spoke about twins with a cord prolapse, you're Correct. you're giving us an update on that. Yes, I wanted to say first of all they're doing they're thriving they're doing well. Um, Great. But I wanted to I wanted to discuss I don't know, how much did we discuss about cord prolapse? Because Not very much, and actually someone did. Uh, strangely enough ask in my dms on instagram if we would if we would cover cord prolapse so well, i'll just cover it real briefly for today and maybe we'll do another topic on it but i got a lot of those things too when i when i put hashtag cord prolapse in the post mm -hmm. i got a lot of people saying cord prolapse cord prolapse well for incomplete or complete breaches which is what baby a was mm -hmm. it's not uncommon maybe 10 15 of the time you might see Accord prolapse, but it's rarely in that situation threatening because yeah, you did really, mention that. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. really compressing. Mm -hmm. So in this particular situation, if you have a cord prolapse and you have a baby that's about to deliver and the heart rate is fine, you just go ahead and deliver that baby. It's not an emergency. Right. If you have if you're at home and you have a cord prolapse and you're not close to delivery then you can go to knee chest or you can just elevate the head. You call an ambulance. You have to go to the hospital and that sort of thing. But it's pretty rare in a, you know, I've been doing these things for a long time at home and I've had a few cord prolapses in twins now. And both of the times they were at the either the second twin when you were, the bag broke and the cord would fall out. You just go up and reach in and pull out the second twin. Or um, this was the first time I'd seen it happen with the first twin. Uh, yeah. But fortunately it was, we could just, after painstakingly emptying her bladder, as I described last time, uh, we were able to um, just pull out the baby and it was fine. So, and um, what would they do when they when you when they got to the hospital with a cord prolapse? Oh, what do you think they were going to do? It's a breech first twin. 
they'll just section. They'll go in for a section. I don't know if that's I don't know if that translated well into the microphone, but <laughs> that was a raspberry. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And the concern with a cord prolapse is? Well, cutting off, you know, if, they, if there's compression on the cord, then you're going to have a bradycardia and eventually you're going to have hypoxia and acidosis and have so, no problem. So it has nothing to do with ox, oxid, oxination. Ox, yeah. It has to do with compression because you feel like if the cord is presenting outside of the Introitus, the vagina, um, and the head is coming through. Then it would um, it would cut off yeah. that circulation that we talk about. <laughs> yeah, because the okay. head makes it the head makes a tight seal. Yeah, uh, with the vaginal muscles. So yeah, right. So that's it. So I just people ask the question. You know, I put it in there because I I, I sort of wanted to. I didn't want to stir up controversy, but I wanted to let people know that when a baby's about to deliver, if the cord does fall out, you can go ahead and continue the delivery. It's not something. Where you have to, if you're in the hospital, where they would say a cord prolapse and they roll you down the hall and do a crash C-section. No, if it's right there and it's a head, you can put a vacuum on, you can put forceps on, you could even do fundal pressure. It's not an evil, or the you know the mom can really push hard and get that baby out in a matter of a minute or two. Then go ahead and do that. Uh, obviously, if you're not near delivery, then you can't sit there and try to shove it back up inside. That's that's not something you're supposed to be doing. Okay. Okay. Got it. So since we last spoke, my daughter had her 25th birthday. So I wanted yes. to wish my daughter a happy birthday. Happy and birthday, Annie. And I want to wish a happy Hanukkah to um, the people, even though Hanukkah has been over for a month now, by the time this <laughs> comes out. And, and I should probably, we should probably wish people Merry Christmas because that's over now too. And a happy new year because that's probably over too. <laughs> and Sky's birthday, which is on the 28th. Of December. Yes. And happy Sky's birthday. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you say. You say happy birthday, I guess. You do. She's listening. listening. Yep. Yep. Um, Do you want me to read a review before our guest comes on? We do have a guest I've got a couple more things. So you can read the review. And then I've got a couple of things I just wanted to go through before we bring on the guests. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, I have a review from November 1st, Cordy Millie. And it says, mind-blowing. So thankful for somehow stumbling upon this podcast. I now realize how naive I was during my first birth, pregnancy and birth. It went nothing like I envisioned simply because I didn't know I could advocate for myself. I'm thankful for this podcast for educating me and I am excited and confident to be welcoming my second child as a VBAC from the comfort of my own home, which would actually be an HVAC. Um, thank you, Dr. Sue and Bliss. And there's a couple other great ones, but uh, we'll just have time for one today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, do we ever get any that are like, you guys are jerks? No, and don't don't encourage anybody to say that. <laughs> well, we're not, you know, I, I, by the way, just before the podcast went on, I had about an hour to kill and I went for a walk in my neighborhood. And it was one of those weird walks where I'm walking along the street and, the, and it's garbage day. And I have my headphones in and I'm listening to a podcast. and the garbage truck is like following me down the street, lifting mm-hmm. up these things and dumping them in. So it's, it's, I had to get off the block. And every time I turned, there'd be the garbage truck would follow me. So I feel like it was a sort of a bit of a horror movie. <laughs> but <laughs> as I was listening, I was thinking about the, um, the misinformation that's out there. And we talk about this all the time. And so I would like our listeners to have this rule in their head and use what's called the test of time. Okay. 
And what I thought about, and this is an original thought, this isn't from anybody, um, go back through the people that you listen to or whatever, go back through their print or their audio and see if what was said two months ago, six months ago, a year ago is still valid. Because I look at our stuff that we talk about and I think about it. And if I went look back at a podcast from August or a podcast from February last year, um, I would say that the stuff that I said is still is is still valid. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't have to I don't have to say, oh, I was wrong or I apologize for that or or just pretend that I wasn't wrong and just move on and pretend like I never said something that's wrong. So if you find that your source is repeatedly wrong on any issue and they refuse to acknowledge it, then why believe them on any issue at all? Because integrity matters. And I, that's what I like about you and me and our podcast is that, no, seriously, if we're, if we're wrong about something, if we're wrong about the vaccine, if we're wrong about uh, home birthing, if we're wrong about breach, um, I would bring it to you. I would tell you, if there's an article that comes out that it's actually a good article that yeah. something that we've said, I would tell you. Yeah. And I would yeah. tell our listeners. Yeah. But so many exactly. people don't. And, and so it, it's a test of time. You look at a, look at the New York Times or look at the New York Times and you see they they say something and three months later what they said was completely false, but people will still go to the New York Times as the quote paper of record unquote. And why do they do that? So that's what I, that's my thought of the day. Thought for the day. The reason, <laughs> part of the reason I thought of that was because um, the American College of OBGYN has put out a recommendation now for the. COVID-19 vaccine boosters during pregnancy. I don't even know what sound that was. That was not a raspberry. That was like a grunt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is, this is um, I'll just show it to Bliss. She can see this. Okay. Um, all pregnant and recently pregnant people. All pregnant and recently pregnant people. Mm-hmm. I know that you're okay with that sentence, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know why, right? Yes. Moving on. Uh, Up to six weeks postpartum who received the COVID-19 vaccine before or during pregnancy should receive a booster within six months after the second shot of Pfizer and Moderna or to receive a booster two months after a J&J shot. Two months. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. So pregnant women or people, (laughs) sorry, or, you know, or postpartum people, breastfeeding people, should not be, should just go out and get their booster. Yeah. That's ACOG. Right? Okay. We'll see if this passes the, the Dr. Stu test of time thing, but that's going into the round file immediately. Okay. <laughs> okay. AKA trash can. So Bliss, mm-hmm. um, let's go ahead and um, talk about your favorite topic, which you're the expert at and I'm not. Which Boobies? Is boobs, right. <laughs> you're the you're the birthing instincts boob expert and i'm i'm a wannabe <laughs> um bamboobies is a wonderful company that um, prioritizes natural holistic products so they've got a line of teas um the the product that i originally fell in love with was their heart-shaped um breast pads that are made out of bamboo they're super soft they're great for the environment um, but they've so expanded their line. Um, they have tank tops and um, balms and all kinds of wonderful products that are good for mom, good for baby and good for the environment. So we really love that they are supporting the podcast and by you going and supporting them, it's 
it helps us continue to give this information. So let them know about the code and all of that too. Yeah. And so um, if you go to Bambooby's website, bambooby's.com, um, go to their marketplace because they, they have a lot more than just the, the, um, the breast pads and the tank top and stuff like that. They have all these, as you said, teas. One, one of the products that I'm highlighting today is they have a, a diaper rash spray. Uh, again, they're eco-friendly. So these things are all sort of bio-friendly, that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, not my products. I don't use them. But I think that uh, for our listeners, there's a lot of people out there. Just at least go to their website. It's bamboobies.com. And if you put in the uh, code instincts, that's I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S, um, you get 40% off your order. And there's no minimum. So 40% off, we think, is one of the most generous things we've ever seen. And so go to bamboobies.com, uh, code word instincts. As long as our guest isn't here yet, I'm going to uh, read a letter and you see what you think about it. Okay. So maybe you, you, maybe you have a, maybe you, you know this medicine, maybe you don't, but I'm going to, I got a question that was actually in today's email. This is from Leah in uh, Connecticut, I think. She says, question for Dr. Stu about dox, doxylamine pyridoxine to treat nausea in the first trimester. People know that it's a, the trade name is Diclegis. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of uh, two medications. Um, one's an antihistamine and one is vitamin B6. Okay. She says, hello, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Stu and Bliss. I have a question for him about, I'll just say Diclegis because I get, I get tongue tied on the, the term. A medication I was put on during my first trimester with an OB that I ended up switching away from to go to a midwifery practice at 15 weeks. I noticed on the website that Dr. Stu will answer one-off questions for 99 bucks. <laughs> right? Well, that's true. I will. Um, but I will answer questions for free sometimes too. <laughs> when I'm he's doing, moved. When he's moved. Now. Yes. This, um, let's see. I just want an opinion on whether or not there's any evidence of risk to babies whose moms take this medication during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, which I did. Well, I should say that this medication is used for hyperemesis gravidarum. And um, she, she learned that tetracycline causes gray teeth. And then she said, at the time, my OB has assured me that there was no tetracycline in doxylamine pyridoxine, but now I am skeptical of anything an OB says. Mm. Well, she probably owes that to me. <laughs> and we love Dr. Sue's thoughts on this one. Perhaps this topic could also be incorporated into a future podcast. Little did she know. And, and it's also, you, I mean, the generic version, right, is... Um, Combining Unisom and B6? Yes, correct. Unisom right. and B6. That's it actually in my response. So, um, Which midwives do sometimes. Yeah, I, I will add that I conceived our third daughter naturally at 44 years old and four weeks ago gave birth to a full-term healthy baby girl at a birth center. I did not have the COVID injection as my initial OB told me to get, but instinctively that didn't feel safe for me and our baby. I'm so grateful to my midwives in the birthing center I delivered at for supporting my pregnancy and birthing wishes. Keep up the fantastic work you're all doing to support pregnant women and the notion that pregnancy and birth need not be fueled with fear. Yay. So my response to her was, uh, let's see if I can find my response. Where's my response? There it is. Uh, I just said really short, dear Leah, congrats on the birth of your daughter. No need to pay for this. (laughs) Okay. To date, there is no evidence of teratogenic, teratogenic, excuse me, teratogenic, or other significant risks from diclegis. These two generic meds, which are Unisom and vitamin B6, um, have been used for decades and seem as safe as any med can be. 
is essentially an over-the-counter sleep medicine and B6. So this is not something I would use much, but would not have a problem recommending currently. Hope that helps a little. Great. Okay. So uh, our guest is here. Awesome. Right. Good timing. Well done. Excited. Well done, Stephanie. Good timing. So um, I'm going to introduce Stephanie as soon as she comes on. There she comes. Hi. Hi, guys. Okay, so let me introduce Hello. you. Let me introduce you. Stephanie Dawn is here to have a chat with us, and she's a radical detox goddess. I love that. And the founder of Sacred Birth Work, a longtime birth rights and health freedom activist. She's an advocate for, and coach for women's empowerment in birth, business, and wellness. A breast cancer thriver, she recently launched, quote, Radiant Living, Four Keys to Healing Cancer Naturally, an alternative to transform illness and empower wellness at her website, which is uh, stephaniedawn.com, just like it sounds. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Stuart. It's so great to see you. It's been a few years. Yeah. Where'd you go? <laughs> <laughs> She's been busy. She's been busy. Yeah. Stephanie, I'm so excited that you joined us. Um, I didn't tell do this, I don't think, but Stephanie and I were trying to meet up when I was in Washington and it just didn't work out. She lives on the islands up in Washington and I just couldn't quite, we couldn't quite figure it out to spend time together. But um, I've known Stephanie, gosh, since the early sanctuary days and our paths have crossed in many different ways. Our children went to the same school. We were advocating um, uh, to not have some of the laws passed in California having to do with mandatory vaccines to go to school, which Stephanie was very involved in. And then I learned about her um, diagnosis of breast cancer and uh, we ran into each other, I think right before we both left Los Angeles. And um, I've been I've been following your path and your journey. Um, and I'm so excited to share this information with our listeners because I think it fits right in to um, what Dr. Stu and I are constantly talking about, which is really like questioning what is the mainstream model of handling healthcare. And um, and we, and I'm just so curious for you to tell our listeners about your story and and what you've learned. Yeah. Thank you. It's so great yeah. to see you, Publis. And you yeah, we, we do go back quite a ways. <laughs> um, gosh, you guys, I've learned a lot. I mean, it's been it's been a quite the journey of the last two and a half years since I got the diagnosis of. Uh, stage three breast cancer tumors in both breasts, which was just a total shock. And um, how did you find out, Stephanie? Biopsies. But did you, did you, um, were you doing breast exams on yourself? Did you learn that way? Did, did someone else bring it to your attention? Was it just a regular exam? Oh, great question. Yeah, thank you. So that spring, the spring of 2019, I was having severe migraine headaches, which was very unusual for me. Mm -hmm. And um, three in one week had me go to urgent care, which I never do. I'm such the alternative chick. Like I didn't, I didn't, yeah. Me <laughs> too. Yeah. And so, but my family, or my family up here in the Pacific Northwest urged me to go to urgent care. And so I did. And there was an issue with my breast at that time. And I showed the doctor and he said, I need you to see an oncologist this week. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so there was a lump 
and mm-hmm. um, it had breached the nipple and I was in a little bit of pain, not a lot, but it's just like, this is not right, you know? And mm-hmm. so that really is what created the whole cancer snowball was that trip to urgent care. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I went to, so he hooked me up with an oncologist at Cedar sinai in LA and she wanted me to go on chemotherapy and estrogen blockers immediately. Mm-hmm. And I had already been doing research uh, after the biopsies because I was pretty sure that it was cancer. And uh, so long story short, I made an almost immediate decision to go to Mexico, to go to Hope for Cancer Mexico in Tijuana and not do the traditional oncology route. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I just, it, what, it, it wasn't resonant to me in any way. And, and, and yet I respected the diagnostics at Cedar sinai and I wanted to continue working with that oncologist, even after I came back from, from Tijuana, uh, where I initially went for three weeks, we invested in their one-year program. And I went there for the initial three weeks and had an incredible experience of being cared for better than I've ever been cared for in my entire life. I had, um, two nurses morning, noon, and night caring for me. I was eating organic food three times a day, drinking pressed, you know, fresh squeezed juices and um, taking all my supplements that I brought down and doing anti-cancer therapies all day, every day for three weeks. And then getting out onto the beach and going for walks because obviously T1 is right on the beach. And so it was, uh, it was, It was a great experience. And that experience really affirmed what I knew that I could heal the appearance of cancer in my body naturally, because that's what they were doing every day. Yeah. So can you explain to our listeners the difference between the therapies that you were doing down in Mexico and what the traditional radiation um, treatment and all of that would be? Yeah. So with traditional uh, cancer therapy, which involves chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery, you're basically taking toxins into your body that not only kills the cancer cells, but it kills the healthy cells too, which is why people lose their hair and they look so sallow and deathly. Um, So, you know, it's a real dip in vitality, real dip in lifestyle. And, um, uh, and and then the radiation, like that's just basically burning, <laughs> burning the area where, where cancer is, which my dad had experienced um, towards the end of his life, which was really gnarly watching him go through that. So, and then surgery, I'm just averse to all that stuff. You know, I mean, I had both my babies naturally. I just, I coached many women about, you know, natural birth, natural childbirth, and also how to have a sacred C-section too, if that's what they wanted to have, you know? So, um, I, uh, but I'm definitely, you know, leaning on the side of, of, uh, the alternatives because it's just, well, bliss, you know, I think you know this about me for, for years I studied, uh, with Reverend Michael Beckwith at the Agape International Spiritual Center. And so what I learned while I was a practitioner there is that we are miraculous we human beings are miraculous. And I had worked to transmute fear for my, within myself, 
just in, in general, in life and living, as well as for all my clients. I, I worked, you know, as a spiritual counselor for many, many years. And so I was afraid for like just a little bit of time when I got the cancer diagnosis. And then I was like, wait a minute, who are you? What do you believe? <laughs> and then I started applying these philosophies that I'd been working with for two decades with having a cancer diagnosis. And so the therapies that I experienced down in Mexico were extraordinary, cutting edge. Um, uh, hyperthermia, where you force a fever. Uh, they had this uh, uh, contraption that they'd made. They, everyone called the pizza oven, where you, you climb in, you're naked, you're covered with a towel, and they, they heat you up to like, you know, between 102 and 104 for 45 minutes. So you're sweating, sweating, sweating. So everything that we did there every day was all about detoxing and mm -hmm. then obviously nourishing, right? Detox and nourish, detox and nourish. That's what you want to do when you have a cancer diagnosis, many diagnoses for that matter. Um, and then I did all many forms of light therapy, um, infrared saunas. Again, that's forcing the fever with the, the sweating, and I did hyperbaric oxygen every day, which I loved, loves to this day. I love it. And I do it up here in Washington. Um, the, I, they also did a really cool thing where they took my blood out. They put ozone in it and then they put it through ultraviolet light and then they put the blood back into me. So it's like a blood cleansing thing that they did for me. Um, so those are just a few of the things that I experienced. Yeah. And so how do you have a question, Stu? Yeah, I do about, about all this. Um, I mean, you talked about hyperthermia, you talked about detox and nourish infrared hyperbaric O2 ozone mm -hmm. treated self transfusion sort of, I guess I, I made that term up, but, <laughs> but um, why don't we do these things when we're healthy? So it's so good that you mentioned that. Ugh. Why are we waiting until yes. we're sick? <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I want, I want some of these. Yeah, you, you can do. have them. Yeah, you Where? do. You do. Um, <laughs> so you'd have to cobble it together versus having a center that like what I experienced down in Tijuana. And they do have one in Cancun too. It's an outpatient center. Tijuana was an inpatient. It's created by a, an American doctor named Dr. Uh, um, Anthony Jimenez and uh, from New Jersey who, you know, like so many doctors has wanted to take the alternative path in the United States and was run out basically and had to take it to Mexico. So, <laughs> Sound familiar? Do you, have to have, do you have to have cancer or some other chronic illness to, to go to this clinic or could healthy people just go there? You know, that's a really good question and I no, don't no, know okay. the answer, but you could just go to hopeforcancer.com, H-O-P-E and then the number four, cancer.com. And, um, and inquire. We also did a lot of intravenous, um, IV vitamin C, uh, IV curcumin, uh, frankincense, boswellia. Um, you know, so while I was down there, I was really concerned about the headaches. What is going on with these headaches? Cause they kind of went away while I was in Tijuana. And at that point, my eye, I hadn't lost any vision in my eye. Like I have now, uh, I've lost a little bit. I can still see it, but it's it's problematic. And um, I I said, you know, let, let's go and get an MRI and a CT scan, knowing it would be so much less expensive down there than at Cedar Sinai. So we did that, and they give you that contrast, right? The incredibly toxic contrast that no one thinks about up here, but down there, 
the doctor immediately put me on five IVs of polyMVA, which is a, a um, like a, a multivitamin. It's like a dark brown color. I guess it's herbs and stuff. I don't know. And um, selenium. And so I did that uh, for five days. He's writing up the prescription and I'm like, do I really need all of these? He's like, let me put it this way, Stephanie. If you were my sister, I would have you do this. And I was like, okay, that's really all I need to hear. Let's do it. <laughs> does, he, does he like his sister? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but the, idea, question to ask. the idea being to detox the, the contrast out of the body. That's why, which mm-hmm. we don't even, no one even broaches that up here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. No, no, they, of course not. Right. So what happened with your breast tumors through doing this alternative treatment? Give us a little update. How did things go? So the breach healed uh, in the right breast. Um, the uh, the tumor tumors are, you know, they're managed at this point. They're shrinking. And I'm just working every day to, you know, disappear the tumors. So they're still there, but I'm not concerned about them. There is no further metastasis. And I'm living life. Awesome. And I think that you might even say that you are better in terms of how you're caring for yourself and how your life is going than you've ever been. Uh, yeah, you, you would not be wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, so I was already working with the women that I was coaching as well as my sacred birth work around teaching Mm self-care, you know, And all of that got up leveled to an extraordinary degree with the cancer diagnosis, because I realized that from here on in, like my wellness was paramount and my nutrition was, you know, the most important thing. And I just, you know, I took stock of everything in my life and I made a lot of really difficult decisions about my life. Mm -hmm. You know, this was at my going away party. That was a really, really hard thing to do and a really necessary thing to do to leave Los Angeles and come up here into the woods. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that are not finding it hard to leave Los Angeles anymore. But so I didn't mean to interrupt you. It just it just <laughs> it, it's it just struck me. So I, I wanted to just ask you about the breast cancer. Um, do you think uh, do you have a family history or do you think that it was just random or lifestyle or the things that you weren't doing? Mm-hmm. what's your thought process on why you, why did you get it? Yeah. So that's another great question. So yes, I do have a family history, but I was, you know, living in an illusion thinking that it, it would never reach me. You know, mm-hmm. I breastfed my babies for three years, you know, three years and two years. And, you know, I just was like, I'll be fine. So In retrospect, when I look back, I was tolerating a way of life that was not optimal. I was working really, really hard. I was in a relationship that wasn't working. And and I was living in a city that I didn't want to live in anymore. And so, uh, you know, I, I left LA, I left the relationship and, um, it was sort of a very long separation that ended in divorce this past year, finally. And, um, uh, and so, and then I just, I really started taking stock of like how it was that I was doing life in terms of how much I was working. 
And I, and I taught life design, you guys. So I was really just having to like take my own medicine around how I'm going to design my life now that I'm away and um, really looking at what was a priority in my life and, and, and then just, you know, do all the things, do all the, the, all the medicine that I've been sharing with people for so many, I just had to like bring it all back to me and work on me. So sometimes, sometimes those of us who are, I've talked about this before. Sometimes those of us who are, who are walking the sacred journey, you know, our lessons are, are, they kind of hit us up the head with like a two by four, you know, I, I think that my path too is not necessarily something that I thought that I would be living, but here I am. Um, so I can really understand that. And what, what I'm hearing you say is that you're coming at this from a holistic perspective, which again is very much in alignment with midwifery care and holistic care in terms of like naturopathy, by the way, Stu, you live in a great city right now. Los Angeles has lots of, um, holistic practitioners. So there's a ton of preventative care that's available here um, for you. But so you're starting to look at your cancer from mind, body, spirit, which obviously, yeah, in allopathic medicine, that's not something that they're going to be addressing. They're they're coming up with, like you said, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, medications. Um, I will tell you that cancer is one that's, that's scary for me. You know, like when I tell people, like, I don't go to the doctor unless, you know, I have a broken arm or I had cancer. And I've been telling my family for a long time, I really don't think that I would do chemotherapy and radiation, but I'm not down this path of really understanding um, how to treat it in the way that you are. So I would love for you to talk more about this program that you just launched and what are some of the things that people need to be paying attention to from what you've learned in terms of prevention, um, you know, cause it's like Stu said, we'd rather prevent this than having to, you know, go down the path if possible. So what do you know about prevention and how, yeah, let's start there. Cause the other question yeah. is, yeah. yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Exactly what you said a few moments ago, Stu, that all the things that I was doing to mitigate a cancer diagnosis is what we can all be doing right now. You can be practicing hyperthermia, even by just having a hot bath or, you know, going, doing the Wim Hof back and forth, hot, cold, hot, cold, right. Hydrotherapy. Um, you can be going to do the hyperbaric oxygen. There's a place in LA on the West side that I would, I, I went to before I moved North. Um, so there's many, many, many things. And the, so the interesting parallel between a cancer diagnosis and what's going on in this sort of COVID-19 landscape that we're living in is the very same things that you would want to do to prevent cancer are the same things that you'd want to be doing to prevent COVID. So that's been an interesting parallel that I've been gathering from my research. So what are those things, Stephanie? Well, you know, in, in a, the most simplest answer to that is um, the Zelenko protocol, Zev Zelenko, uh, melatonin, quercetin, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C. You know, I just, I'm a huge fan of him. I have a, a, a dear friend and colleague who's a nurse up here who, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just showing Stephanie that the protocol that I use when people ask me for stuff and it is, um, 
put out by the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance in Zolanko, I think is part of that, so. Yeah, yeah, the, so all of those things are, um, they're just things that we have deficiencies in that we need to be monitoring. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so that's just immediately in terms of supplements, okay? In terms of lifestyle, looking at what's working and looking at what's not working and redesigning it if need be. And I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about work, you know, the whole landscape of, of your lifestyle. And sometimes that's, that's really hard, right? Cause you might be in <laughs> a partnership or a marriage that needs to end, you know, like that's, that can be gnarly. But when your life's at stake, I mean, that's what a cancer diagnosis did for me. Like I was like, like the eternal optimist. I'd never had an existential bone in my body. Like I just was like, I'm here and I'm doing life and I'm giving all my gifts and, you know, just doing, doing, doing. Right. And then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do I want to be here now in this experience of reality, doing the things that I'm doing? Um, do I want to stay or do I want to go? I mean, that's what people are met with, with a cancer diagnosis, because if you don't like, it is important for you to take it very seriously, I think, but here's what really gets me, which is why I created this course. Our fear and the urgency that the allopathic model creates for a cancer diagnosis is leveraged against us to um, cause us to make a decision uh, based in fear, I feel, versus taking the time to take stock of what of all our options are and then make a decision. So I specifically made my course just a four week long course because you have at least four weeks before you have to make a decision about your, uh, your pathway of treatment, unless it's a very aggressive cancer, which I did not have, okay? Mm -hmm. There are very ad aggressive forms of cancer, which you, you may want to take a, a faster, you know, road. But with me, I had time. I had time, you know, and, 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 and I think many more do. And the other thing that I think is really key that my naturopath has told me today, she thinks I was misdiagnosed. She thinks, she goes, I am not, you know, naturopath, a muscle test, right? She says, I'm not getting cancer in your body at all. She's like, did you actually get a cancer diagnosis? I'm like, yes, Dr. Kimi, five months ago when I first started seeing you, I brought all the paperwork in, right? And, um, and she's like, I don't get it at all. Stephanie says, what I do get is cystic hyperplasia and benign fibroadenoma of the breast. And I'm like, whoa, that's a mouthful. And it's not cancer. That was from the pathology reports? No, that that's from her. That's my naturopath when she's testing for what I'm dealing with right now. So, so but you had a biopsy that, yeah, in the allopathic system said that you had, uh, yep, yeah, adenocarcinoma or whatever it is that you mm -hmm. had. Right? Yep. So I wish I'd gotten a second opinion, and uh, I didn't really. Yeah, there's just it's really good to be going to these um, appointments with people because you can be feel a little bit like a deer in the headlights. You know, mm -hmm. so taking someone that you know, love and trust into those meetings. I did, but even then it was still, it was still not a, a fun experience. Well, your, your comment, Stephanie, about fear is, is probably 
I mean, it's the probably one of the most important things that are hopefully our listeners are going to get is the idea that you cannot make decisions in fear. And we are living at a time where they're trying to they're trying to force you to make decisions. They're trying to make you nervous and make you scared and make you make decisions, whether it's in the labor and delivery units or whether it's at the place where you're supposed to get your next booster shot or whatever else, because you've got the Omicron variant and then it'll be the something else, the variant and they they're going to scare, they want to scare you and scare you and scare you. So you make decisions without taking a moment to think about it or talking or looking for other resources and then putting your trust. And before you came on, I said something about the test of time test that I want to people to use, which is, is to look back at what people have told you and see if it, see if they're still right. Because what we see now with a lot of people who are, um, uh, projecting fear is that they're, they turn out to be wrong, but they go right on with the next projection of fear and never take a consequence for, for the, what they did or what they said in the past. And why would we trust these people? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a story I want to share with you both because um, I think it's important. So I went to see this, um, this doctor, uh, this oncologist at Cedars-Sinai before I went to Tijuana. And I did tell her, you know, I'd like to see you when I come back and I'd like to bring the results of my experience to you. And then we can, you know, work together with Tijuana for the next year to, you know, help me. And she's like, okay. So I come back. I bring um, all my labs back, all my uh, tests back, everything from the CT scan and the MRI. And at that point, the eye has started to droop and I've lost vision. And um, she was aware that something was going on prior, but without checking my labs and without talking to her radiologist, while I'm sitting in her office, she tells me that she thinks I might have brain cancer. And I just listened. And she says, I'll have my radiologist check and I'll get back in touch with you. And so I, uh, I left her office and she calls me an hour later. And she says, I was wrong. You don't have brain cancer. And you guys, I got off the phone and I wrote the longest email to her and Cedar Sinai. I was livid. How dare she utter those words without checking my labs? at all. I'm like, you should not even be a doctor. <laughs> I get that you live in the oncology world, but to utter those words without checking my labs, I just couldn't believe my ears. And I, I went live actually on Facebook about it and it went viral. It went into all these medical <laughs> groups on Facebook. And um, I had people messaging me that I didn't know saying, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And um, cause I just decided I was going to be really out really public with my journey when I realized that my journey is not, no, you know, it's not what most people do. So I thought, well, let's just let everyone see it all, you know? And, and so, so yeah, so the whole fear piece, you know, it's fear with good reason because it's, it's so infiltrated in our culture, even before the whole COVID-19 thing, you know? be afraid, be very afraid with a cancer diagnosis. And lucky me, I was working with health coaches prior to the diagnosis who were like, 
stuff, you know, they have a whole different way of looking at the body and they're like, stuff, if it's cancer, like I've got you like, I, I, and she started educating me about what's why the body, you know, creates tumors. And, and so I started having this faith in my body and, and, and why the body is creating a tumor in the first place is because Which is what that's interesting. Why does the body create a tumor? Well, it needs to have a place to put all the crap. So I was taking food and, and, and substances and, and things were coming into my body, heavy metals, et cetera, from the, the pots and pans I'd been cooking on for decades, cooking on aluminum foil, eating things out of cans. You know, we've got, we all have heavy metals in us. And that's what I think is what's going on with my eye is um, I have ocular paralysis because of mercury. And I had mercury, um, there was mercury in the vaccines up in Canada when I was a young girl. There was mercury in my fillings that I just got taken out and they weren't taken out by someone who knew what they were doing, unfortunately, which was my bad. I take responsibility for that. But um, uh, so we've, you know, the body encases the crap into a tumor, okay? And with the right circumstances, we can reverse it. That's what I'm doing right now with my own heavy metal detoxes and my own diet and, you know, just all the things that I'm doing for myself now and that I have been doing. And so the, the, the problem with allopathy, it's like, let's cut it out of you, but we're not going to change anything about your lifestyle. We're not going to yep. change anything about your diet. We're not going to change anything about your supplements. And guess what? The cancer comes back. What do you know? You know, so the people walk around thinking they're cancer free, but they're not changing anything in terms of the landscape of their inner terrain of their right. body. You know, right. I, I can, I want to just comment on your story because it, that story could be extrapolated to many different aspects of, of allopathic healthcare, including what Bliss and I do all the time with obstetrics. And it's, you know, it's, it's not that she, I mean, again, maybe you can correct me if I, if I'm saying this wrong, but it's not that she told you that you might have a brain cancer. It's sort of how she told you, as opposed to saying, you know, there's multiple things that can cause this and here's some of the things, and we should try to look for these things and rule them out. It's, and the analogy that comes, it pops into my head is always something obstetrical. It's like the, the OB who sees um, a woman who's got twins at 10 weeks and starts to tell them that, well, it's likely that this is gonna be a problem. You're gonna have preterm labor. You're gonna deliver early. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna need to be induced. One of the babies could die, blah, you know, and they say this all just, they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're they're um, giving out information, but what they're doing is they they haven't really put themselves in the empathetic position or or projected themselves into the position of the person that's listening and how it comes across when you say that because it's not necessarily wrong to say you might have preterm labor or you might have a brain tumor, mm -hmm. but it to 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 say that to say it in such a way that you, you, you're almost like vomiting your own anxiety, your own fear onto, your, onto the client um, so that you can feel like you've given them all the information, but it, it's, it's not so much that, it's how you give it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean- And I was guilty of this. I mean, when well, I came out of residency, this is how I talked. Yeah, interesting. Wow. Right, I tell, yeah. The story, I tell the story that Bliss has heard me tell the story that just up, just up until last year, when somebody would come in for pregnancy consultation, and I would get to past medical history, Stephanie, I would say to them, I would say, do you have any other medical problems? <laughs> and somebody would call me on it and they said, well, what's the first one? 
And my first one was, well, you're pregnant. And then, and then I realized what I was saying. And I never even occurred to me that I'm implying that pregnancy is a medical problem. Yet for 30 years, I probably did. Yeah. And actually pregnancy is a, is a uh, reflection of vitality. You know, if you can get pregnant, your body is healthy, right? If you can carry and, and uh, if you can get pregnant and carry a pregnancy, it's showing that your body is healthy. And in what's happening in your body, Stephanie, is your body is talking to you and saying, you know, something's going on and it needs my attention. And what you're saying is in the traditional um, way that this is managed, I love this because I just went to a doctor today and had this whole conversation. I'm having some skin stuff go on and, you know, they wanted to give me antibiotics. And I was like, do I have an infection? She's like, no. I'm like, then I don't think I'm going to take antibiotics. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the same kind of thing that, that I think you're pointing to is that if you don't change what's happening, your cancer is going to come back. You can cut it off. You can radiate it. You can, you know, take chemotherapy, but if you don't get up underneath what your body is trying to tell you and what caused it in the first place, it's just going to come back. So, um, I think, I think I've told you this before, but I think you have an amazing amount of courage to, you know, take this on in such a different way. And I'm so happy that you're at a place with your cancer where things are not progressing and you feel like you've gotten a handle on it. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing to promote this and put it out into the world to give people alternatives. You know, that's, that's a big part of what Dr. Stu and I talk about, you know, having to do with birth, having to do with what's going on with COVID and vaccines and all of that is that you need to be informed. You need to know what your options are. And I don't think a lot of people talk about alternative options um, for cancer treatments. And so that's one of the reasons why I really wanted you to be on and be able to hear your story and be able to, um, know some of the therapies that you utilize that are making a difference for you. Did you ever hear back from your oncologist? Yeah, I got a, a long email and I'm just, there's no defense of how she talked to me. You know, it was, it was just wrong. And I wanted nothing to do with her going forward. She's fired. She was fired. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> You're canceled. <laughs> yeah. So, and there was, there was a, you know, there was other experiences that I had. I've decided to write a book. I've decided to write a book. So I, <clears throat> I just, I have these stories that I feel need to be shared and there's more, which I won't go on about here, but, you know, I, 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 I created this four week program to be sort of like, easily digestible because I wanted it to, I wanted people who suspected a cancer diagnosis. And like you said, Stu, don't have one, but maybe want to know how to mitigate, you know, preventatively what to do. People can, people that want to do that will be well served by this program as well. And so it looks at fear, like where does fear come from? Right. We go into that. And then it's, there's videos, there's um, worksheets, and then it looks at diet, cleansing, nutrition. Okay. What's working for you? What's not working for you? Because most of us in America, it's like, we know what's taking us down, but, but old habits die hard and myself included. Like I was doing all kinds of cleansing before the cancer diagnosis, but I was going back to some really bad habits. So all those bad habits just completely came toppling down. And I was like, okay, no more you know, no more fried foods, no more anything with sugar in it, no more um, alcohol, 
I, I still have a little bit of fine champagne periodically, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't drink regularly at all anymore, you know? So things like that, I don't really do red meat or pork either. So, um, but there's all kinds of people that say, you know, I healed my cancer with keto. I healed my cancer with veganism. I healed my cancer water fasting. Like, you know, there's so many different stories about healing cancer. Like once you get into the cancer world, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, so I, uh, I wanted to take all the research that I'd done and just like distill it into this four week experience so that they could look at the fear and, and, you know, and, and, and receive tools and, and resources about how to mitigate fear and, and, look at their diets and, and start making decisions and, and receive information about various cleansing that I've been doing all these years. And then, um, and the water fasting, hello, <laughs> I did that this year for 21 days. That was incredible. Um, so we do talk about water fasting in that module and then also what looking is, can at, you, can you, I don't mean to interrupt because you're on a roll, but no, it's good. What is water fasting? So you only drink water for however long you want to do it. Like you can do a one day water fast. You can do a three day water fast. I chose a 21 day water fast at an amazing wellness center in Costa Rica, uh, this year, January into February. And, um, yeah, I just drank water for 21 days. It was and what's the benefit? What's the benefit of doing that? Oh my gosh. So the body goes into extreme ketosis. Mm -hmm. It must. Fat, fat burning, right? <laughs> the body goes into extreme autophagy, which is when the good cells eat up the bad cells, i.e. tumors, i.e. viruses, i.e. you know, all the bad stuff. It all just like gets eaten up. So um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of water fasting now. Huge fan. I do, I do mini water fasts now. But having three weeks of water fasting at this beautiful center in Costa Rica, it was an amazing experience. I was there with about 33 other people from all over the world. Um, there was no masks. There was no, you know, no social distancing. Like, and we were all fine. We were fine. Uh, and, you know, we, it was sunny and it was warm down there, but you don't want to stay for too long in the sun because you don't want to really sweat when you're water fasting. And then at the end of the fast, um, gosh, I lost about 25 pounds. So you got to be prepared to lose weight and, um, which was fine. Cause I'd put up, packed on some COVID pounds. <laughs> like I think many people did. And then, um, I ate fruit for the week after. So I stayed on for a week after the 21 days and I just ate fruit for, for that week. And it was just the most delicious fruit I've ever eaten in my entire life. Papaya, watermelon, pineapple. Um, yeah, just succulent. And you didn't get like, you didn't get a headache. You didn't get uh, the kind of things that people get when they're hypoglycemic or anything like that. Or do you, you go through a phase and then your body adjusts to it. How does that work? Well, so everyone's different. I definitely had some heavy metal detoxing happening, which was extraordinary. So one day, all of a sudden, all I can smell on my hands is metals, like a metallic smell coming out of my hands. And then I could taste metals in my mouth. And, um, and then at night, I was having these um, 
I would call them fire eye experiences where my eye felt like it was burning and I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And my naturopath told me, she said, you are going to be detoxing heavy metals when you're down there and stuff. And sure enough, like my eye was like, my eye was on fire. And the only thing that would make it better was um, also an affirmation that what I'm dealing with here is heavy metals. But um, the only thing that would make it better would be like a warm compress in the middle of the night. I'd have to go into the bathhouse and like put this warm compress on my eye. So that was unique to me. You know, nobody there was nobody there that that had cancer in Costa Rica. Everyone was there for different reasons. Digestion. Um, There was a lot of men. There was a lot of men who seemed like they were doing it because they had a lot of weight to lose. It was fascinating to me, like what an extreme choice for weight loss. <laughs> um, that, that would, I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have done it for weight loss. But. Well, I just want, I'm just curious because I know that when I go a certain period of time uh, without eating that I, you know, I, I get like a headache, but if I get past that, then, yeah. I, then I'm okay. So, with most, with most detoxes, it's like that you have a period of time where you, you know, you feel worse before you feel better because, you know, you're getting the things out of your system that are not serving you. So even something like stopping coffee, you know, you, you can, you really do feel, um, the effects of what your body is trying to get rid of, which yeah, is exactly goes, what you described. It goes back into the bloodstream, Stu. It comes out of the organs and out of the various systems and the water fasting brings it into the system, you know, into the bloodstream and then takes it out of the body is the name of the game. So we're going to have to sort of wrap it up. So yes, what, uh, what would you, I mean, I've looked at your website. I loved your website, you know, and then, and then one of your opening things, you had uh, things like, um, if you don't feel well and don't know exactly why, or you don't have the energy you desire, I think you're describing pretty much everybody, (laughs) at least everybody that I know. Um, tell us, tell us like a a parting thought and how people can reach. Sure. Yeah, sure. So just the, the final, um, module is all about the way forward. Like what, what path are you going to choose? And people will be very surprised by the things that I, you know, found out about and that I offer to them because just like home, you know, just like birth, you can have an unassisted cancer experience if you want that. Okay. So, and I, I speak to that. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if somebody wants to, um, to do this because they have a cancer diagnosis, because they suspect a cancer diagnosis, or even if they just, you know, want to feel better, uh, you're going to come out of this feeling, you know, you're going to be up leveled. There's no, there's no two ways about it because it's going to, the course itself, will cause you to take action and make decisions that are going to create a more optimal experience of your life and of your healing, really, if you are dealing with a diagnosis or you are in pain, uh, at least that's the intention. So, and there's a bunch of testimonials there from women that have done the course and uh, experienced what I had to offer. And and we're just getting started, you know, I'm just getting And I assume someone who um, also has genetic propensity, this would be a really good thing for them to do as well. So how do they find you, Steph? Tell, Just go to www.stephaniedawn.com. 
D-A-W-N. Mm-hmm. D-A-W-N.com and check out my blog because I've written a lot there about some of the things that I've touched on here. And um, it'll show you, there's one there, Bliss, that you'd like to check out all the things I've done to heal cancer naturally. It's a very long list. <laughs> Great. I will definitely check it out. And it was wonderful to see you. Thank you for sharing your story and your wisdom with us. We are so grateful and we keep... Um, sending you healing, loving vibes for the remainder of your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I love you both. Keep doing what you do. Many blessings. Um, Bliss, I love what you said about, you said something about your positive attitude always comes through in these things. And you said something to me about, I was like sort of getting down on LA and you said, you know, there's some great things in LA and you're right. I don't want to come across as, being completely uh, negative and down on LA. There's just a lot going on down here. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, for me, there's just a lot of memories, which is, I'm just re-digesting that as I drive the streets of LA. But the good news, which will probably come out months and months before, uh, or weeks and weeks before this actually comes on is um, we're planning to do a live next week. So that's going to be fun to sit with you and um, to be by your side again and not have to just. Are you going to come to the Dr. Sue office? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. Figure out a great spot. um, I also wanted to say that, that what Stephanie has to say is the, and the way she does it. And you and I have known her for a really long time. The, the important thing is not everybody that listens to us and not everybody's going to agree with Stephanie's right. take on everything. Yeah. But we are, we are for putting information out there. We've always been for the informed consent model and if people listen to us and then decide to have a scheduled induction or a C-section, we're fine with that because they've made a choice that's been informed. And it's the same thing here. Some people want to go the allopathic route and, and they've had good results with it. So yeah. it isn't also, it isn't all one or all the other. It's whatever works for the individual. So we're not endorsing or not endorsing anything. No, just giving you information about alternatives. Um, And I just thought it would be really interesting for our our listeners to hear about it. Well, I was interested. Good. uh, Yeah, I'm going to actually be looking into some of these things. Uh, (laughs) Great. I I am on a health kick now and and I've lost weight and I've lowered my cholesterol and I've lowered my blood pressure simply by being more active and losing weight. And, uh, despite my doctor wanting to put me on, uh, uh, statin like Lipitor, whatever, that's was his first response to me was get on this. Yeah. And and like she said, no, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put more toxins in my body to counteract the toxins that I'm creating on my own. So that, you know, there's other ways to do things. But this was not the way that I ever used to think. This has been an evolution for me. And I'm hoping that people who listen to our podcast have evolved in their way of thinking too. I obviously get a lot of affirmation that they have. So I'm totally appreciative of the fact that you and I get together once a week and do this sort of thing. Yeah, me too. Well, until next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 